At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. As we step into the new year, we're turning to the book of James for our message series, Live the Truth. In a culture preaching the power of whatever feels right to you, it's time to set aside positive vibes for a truth you can stand on. Join us as we answer James' call to reject the latest feel-good message for a mature faith. Well, I am so fired up to be with you this morning. I'm, I'm grateful that we get a chance to go back into the book of James together. James is one of my favorite books of the Bible along with all the rest of them. Uh, but I really do, that was a joke, but I really do uh, love the book of James. There is so much uh, wisdom in James. James is full of these one-liners. Uh, maybe you've heard it before. Faith without works is count it all when you face uh, trials of many kind. And, uh, and then he also has this line in there, be slow to speak, you know, quick to listen, slow to anger. Some of us are still working that one out. But James continues to give us these one-liners to pull us back to God's truth. It's like he has a way with words of succinctly saying what needs to be said without a whole lot of extra comments that aren't necessary. James wants us to know truth, but equally, if not more important to James as us knowing truth is, are we living it? Are we living the truth of God's word? Because God's word, if applied, always brings results in, in life change. You want to know how to experience a good life? Don't believe all the commercials, all the hype that's out there. The marketeers will tell you you're one product away from experiencing a good life. That's not what the Bible says, if you really want to know how to experience a good life, go to the one who created you, who made you, who knows your heart, and who is all loving, who wants the best for you. How many thank God we serve a good and gracious God? And, and if you don't know him today, I want you to know him. You don't have to clean yourself up before you come to know him. Some may feel like, man, I don't even know if he'll forgive me. I don't even know if I have anything to offer to him. Some may even feel awkward being in church, but I want you to know not only are you welcome here, but the Father welcomes you in that he loves you. So last week, as we were looking at James, and we're gonna pick up in James chapter one today, but last week when we were looking at James, I started with a question, who's the wisest person you know? Who's the wisest person you know? And I told those of you who are here with your spouse, make sure you name them so that things would go well with you when the day was over. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, is I, I brought out that question, who's the wisest person you know, to be able to demonstrate the difference between intellect, knowledge, academic success, and wisdom. There are a lot of people who have academic success or even knowledge, but don't have wisdom. Wisdom is not just information, an abundance of information, but wisdom is knowing how to apply that skillfully so that you can live the life that God has created you to live, one for his glory and for the good of man, for the glory of God, for the good of man, so that you might experience blessing and so that those connected to you would be blessed as well. How many want that life? How many want to have wisdom? Even more than information or knowledge, want to have wisdom. Well, today I have a second question for you, a different question, and that is, where do you go for wisdom? When you don't know what to do, when you are facing a situation in life that is uh, maybe um, uh, outsmarted you, that is 
bigger than what you know, that is beyond your experience base, where do you go for wisdom? Now, your answer to that is going to reveal really a lot about what generation you're in, because the answer differs by generation. I wanted to test run this question. So last night, I was on the phone with my mom, and I said, Mom, when you were growing up and you faced a situation that you didn't know the answer to, where did you go for wisdom? What do you think she said to me? She said, to the older women in my life, to the older people in my life. How many, uh, maybe my age or older, would say yes and amen to that? If that's what you did, maybe there were older men in your life. If you're a guy, maybe there were older women in your life. If you were really blessed, maybe it was your parents. But you had some older people in your life that had more experience than you that you went to when you didn't know what to do and you asked them for wisdom, advice, and guidance, and you tried to apply it, and somehow you made it to today. Praise God. But if you were to ask this generation, how many know that the answer would be totally different? If you ask this generation, where do you go for wisdom? I'm going to give you one guess. Where do you go if you don't know what to do? What's the answer? Google. Everybody said it. It's Google, right? Uh, that's one of three answers. The, the reality is, is the top three answers are Google, YouTube, and Alexa. I hate Alexa. She, she moved into our house about a year and a half ago. We got an Alexa. My kids go to Alexa more than they come to dad for answers. As a matter of fact, one of the things that I secretly love is when they ask Alexa a question and Alexa doesn't know the answer, but I know the answer and I come in and I prove I'm smarter than Alexa. How many today can admit that Alexa doesn't know everything? Now, we may be tempted, though, to argue our particular generational perspective is somehow better than the other generation. Those of you who are my age or older might, might be tempted to say, yes, it is much better to go to older people who have more experience than you if you lack wisdom. The youngers may say, no, 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 listen, Google may not know everything, uh, but it knows a lot more than mom or dad, grandma or grandpa. Google is much better to go to. And we can debate both. But the reality is both have their benefits and both have their shortcomings. The greatest shortcomings of both is that neither are omniscient. To be omniscient means uh, to know all things. And there is only one in Scripture that is uh, declared to be omniscient, knowing all, and that is God. Today, we're going to talk about where to go if we want unfailing wisdom, wisdom that works every time, wisdom that is always perfect, no matter what situation you're going into. How many know it is found in God and his word, that his word is inerrant, infallible, and always perfect. As a matter of fact, that's what James wants us to learn today as we look at verse number, number five. He wants us to understand that mature faith always seeks God's wisdom. That if you're really mature in faith, far more than just going to those who are older than you or going to Alexa or Google, that you're going to turn to God because you know that God is the one who has the wisdom that you need. But here's the question, how do we access that wisdom? It's one thing for me to tell you where wisdom is found. It's another thing for me to give you the combination to the lock. And what James wants us to have is the combination to unlock it. How do we get wisdom? Well, 
The first thing he tells us is that God's wisdom is received upon request. Look at verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him do what? Come on. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him what? Ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Man, that is one of the simplest, most powerful, and profound verses in all of the Bible. A few years ago, some of you may remember the Message Bible was really popular. It was a theologian named Eugene Peterson who uh, created that paraphrase. And I, I like the way it reads. I wouldn't use it as a primary study Bible, but next to your primary study Bible, the, the Message Bible can say things in a way that just flat out makes it easy to understand. And I love what it says. He says, when you don't know what to do, go to God. When you don't know what to do, go to God. Why? Because when you go to God, you will get the wisdom you need for navigating all of life. That there is no situation that is greater than God's wisdom. Now, I don't care how experienced you are, how many degrees you have, how much uh, economic success you have, there will be a time when you will encounter something that outstrips your wisdom, that is greater than your bank account or resources, that is beyond your experience base. You see, what verse number five requires is a, a characteristic that many of us lack, and that is humility. The ability to admit that, man, I don't know what to do in this situation. And if you're anything like me, that's hard to do. It's hard for me to admit when I don't know the answer. I even struggle admitting to my wife when I'm lost and I don't have uh, clear direction. Praise God for GPS. One of the greatest inventions ever known to man. It's rescued many a husband from having to admit he's lost. It's a struggle for many of us to admit that we don't know what to do. What parent wants to admit, I don't know how to parent my kids through this. What, what uh, husband or wife wants to admit, I don't know how to navigate and be a good husband. No one ever showed me how, or I don't know how to be the wife that he needs me to be. Who wants to admit that they don't know what they're doing? That's why the teen years are so awesome, because when you're a teenager, you know everything. It's all downhill from there. You only get dumber the older you get. But it's a struggle for us to admit we don't know what to do. But what James is driving home is that this person, this man, this woman who's humble enough to admit they don't know what to do, if they can just ask God, they can get the wisdom they need. Now, let's not separate verse number five from verse number two. What's the subject that he's still talking about? Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. You know, what I love about the Bible is that it's not all rainbow or roses. It's not a fairy tale. It does not water down the struggles of life. If you want a fairy tale, go to the bookstore and buy a kid's book. But if you want reality, life on the ground, the bare bones of it all, go to Scripture, and it will tell you what life in a fallen world looks like. It is full of pain. You will be betrayed. You will have seasons of anxiety. Depression will knock at your door. There will be turmoil all around you. There will be pain because of bad choices you've made, and there will be pain because of bad choices others made that impact you. But all of it adds up to the same reality, is that there will be situations where we need help. And where do you go if you don't know what to do? You know what this presupposes? 
is that you and I have a prayer life. That you and I know how to pray. As a matter of fact, the text is, is really begging that question, do you know how to pray? Yesterday morning, I had a great Saturday morning. I gathered together for breakfast with a group of men from our church. And, and we gathered here and we ate more bacon than any one man should ever eat. We had a great time. We worshiped together. We looked to the word of God together. But I started out asking these guys a few questions. I said, guys, how many in here remember who taught you how to drive? Let me see your hands in this room. How many remember who taught you how to drive? How many had somebody teach you how to drive? We got a lot of guys who were sharing stories. One guy told the story. I, I called on him, didn't know where it was going to go. He says, I was 13 years old. My dad told me I couldn't learn how to drive until 16, so I waited for him to leave for out of town and I stole his pickup truck and taught myself. I'm thinking to, my, to myself, this is going the wrong direction. Let me shut this down really quick, bro. That's illegal. <laughs> then I asked a question, another question, who taught you how to fight? Who taught you how to defend yourself, how to throw a punch, how to take a punch? How many had somebody teach them how to fight? And one guy, I called on him, he answered the question. He, he started telling this this story, somebody taught him how to use swords and daggers and, and darts and all that stuff. And I'm looking at the head of security like, recruit this guy. I don't know whether or not to be afraid or, or to recruit him. That was like amazing. Then I asked the guys, who taught you how to cook? And very few of them rose their hands, but, but some of them, they had memories of a mom or someone teaching them how to cook. I remember my first time trying to really cook for myself. I'm in college. And I called my mother and I said, Mom, I got this chicken breast. What do I do with it? And she said, put it on 350, put the seasoning on it. 25 minutes, you'll have dinner. And I was, uh, I was impatient. And I said, if it's 25 minutes at 350, what happens if I go to this broil position? So I cut that baby all the way up, tossed it at the bottom. Ten minutes later, it looked great on the outside. It was horrible. Never do that. That's my advice to you. Never do that. But many of us have people who taught us how to drive, how to fight, how to cook. But here's my question for you. Who taught you how to pray? Is there anybody who pulled you to the side and said, this is how you pray? This is how you pray in a way that causes you to be heard by God. This is how you pray to get results. This is how you pray to have your heart conformed to the heart of God. Who taught you how to pray? It's interesting that the disciples of Jesus call him rabbi, which in Hebrew means teacher. But we don't have many examples of them asking him to teach them anything. But there is one big example in scripture that stands out, and that is after seeing him pray over and again, they were finally so overwhelmed that they said, rabbi, teach us how to pray. What was it that they saw? There was something amazing and different about the prayer life of Jesus that must have been impressed upon their heart. I think it was the fact that when he prayed, peace came. That when he prayed, the power of the Spirit was seen. That when he prayed, the presence of the Father was experienced. And I want that. I don't know about you, but I want that. How many want to experience peace when you pray? How many want to see the power of the Spirit alive in you and in your family when you pray? How many want to experience the, 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 the presence of the Father when you pray? 
Lord, teach us how to pray. We need someone to teach us not just how to drive, not just how to cook or tie a tie or put on makeup. We, we need someone to teach us how to pray. If I could give you any advice today, it would be this. Be humble enough to find someone who has a prayer life that you admire and just ask them, can we pray together? Can you, can you teach me how to pray? I was blessed because throughout my life I've had men who've uh, pulled me to the side to teach me how to pray. I remember when I first came to Christ, I had a youth pastor who taught me how to pray. He would spend hours with me just teaching me how to pray. There'd be times when I would say, hey, you know the answer, just tell me the answer. And he would say, no, it's not that I don't know the answer, but you need to develop your own relationship with God. Grab your Bible and go and pray. So grateful he did that. I remember when I was a young preacher, first just kind of out the gate, first church, and, and I thought I knew absolutely everything. I was dangerous. I was 26, and I had a Bible, and I was ready to go to war. And I had an older deacon, about 70 years old. His name was Fred Hunter. I'll never forget. Maybe he saw my pride, my cockiness. I don't know what it was, but Fred said to me, what are you doing on Wednesday mornings? I said, no, nothing. My Wednesdays are, are open. And he says, why don't we just start praying together? You come over to my house. I'll get breakfast and we'll pray together. And we did that week after week after week. And that man taught me how to pray. When the marriages of my church were falling apart and I didn't know how to fix it, he taught me how to pray. When kids were lost and, uh, and bound up in the sin and I didn't know how to comfort the parents, he taught me how to pray. When our church seemed to need an answer from God that was beyond their young pastor's ability to give an answer, he taught me how to pray. You need somebody, friends, to teach you how to pray. As a matter of fact, I want to say this to parents as well, that what our kids need most when they're launching out from our houses is a Bible and a prayer life. They need to know the Word of God, and they need to know how to pray. My wife and I were talking earlier this week. We, our oldest daughter, we got about two more years before she is out of our house, and she has made that very clear. I am going to college abroad. That is very clear in our house. And we've taught her a lot. My wife has taught her how to cook. We've taught her how to dress in appropriate ways. I've, I've taught her how to invest and buy stocks. We've talked about money management principles. But what haunts me is the reality that I know I'm launching her out into a broken world. And I keep asking myself, have I taught her enough about how to pray? How to pray when anxiety seems to be overwhelming. How to pray when depression's knocking at her door, how to pray when there are two really good-looking options and she's trying to figure out which opportunity should I take. Have I taught her how to pray? But not only do we need to get somebody to teach us how to pray, we need to, if we know how to pray, be that for someone else. Some of you in here, you know how to pray. You know that you don't need to have big and fancy words. How many have come to a place where you know enough about God that trying to impress him is not the goal? Like there's no $5 word you're gonna use that impresses God. Maybe some, some of the best prayers are simply prayers, Lord, I need you. Maybe you've matured enough in prayer where you know that the best prayers are private prayers. Yeah, it's okay for us to pray publicly, but the Bible makes it very clear, Jesus makes it very clear that we should never pray to be seen, just to be seen. Now, that's not a prohibition against public prayer, but it is a statement that private prayer is often rewarded publicly. 
We not only need somebody to teach us how to pray, we need to be willing to teach someone else how to pray. James goes on from this verse to not only tell us that, that wisdom is received when we request it, but he goes on to tell us the type of request we need to make, a request in faith, verses six through eight. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must suppose, must not suppose, rather, that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Now we get a little bit more clarity from James that not every request is heard from God. Not every old request receives God's wisdom, but it has to be a request in faith. Again, this verse begs the question, and what is the question this verse begs is, do you trust God? Do you trust God? Do you trust his wisdom and his advice? How many trust his word? How many believe his word is true and that is reliable and that is trustworthy and that if we apply it, that it actually is effective? Do you trust God? I wish I could say, yeah, the answer is always yes, but the struggle of my heart maybe is yours as well. And sometimes I do, sometimes I'm a little bit shaky. And that's why he says, hey, don't ask doubting, because if you ask doubting, you're a double-minded man. Now, in the Greek, this word doubting has a range of meanings, but probably the one that James is talking about here specifically is the meaning of this word is opposed. Don't ask for wisdom that you're already opposed to. The picture that it gives us is the type of person that asks you for wisdom and they know they're not gonna do what you tell them to do anyway. Have you ever had a person like that in your life that asks you for advice and you know they're gonna do whatever they wanna do anyway? Anybody have a person like that in their life? Some of you aren't raising your hand and that's because you are that person. You're that person who probably asks for advice and doesn't do it. I know I've been that person before. Uh, one of my friend's dads, really close to me, he was kind of like a papa to us all. His name was Jesse, and he, I watched his life. He had taken care of himself and uh, was in good health. And I remember going to Papa Jesse, saying, Papa Jesse, what's the key? How do I take care of myself, manage my weight, make sure I'm in good health like you? And his response was, stop eating so much. I didn't like that answer. I was determined. That was not what I was looking for. I was not going to do what uh, Papa Jesse told me to do. Listen, there are times when doctors will find that it's easier to just write a prescription than to give good dietary or nutritional advice because they already know we're not going to do it. A lot of leaders and experts have determined there's no point in giving people advice because they're not going to do it anyway. Let's not be that type of person when it comes to asking God for wisdom. When you go to God and you ask him for wisdom, he will give it to you. How many agree with me that the word of God is the greatest single source of wisdom we have ever been given, right? How many believe that? That if you want wisdom on how to be a husband, it's in here. If you want wisdom on how to be a wife, it's in here. If you want to know how to parent your kids, it's in here. If you want to know how to manage your money or your time or your relationships or, or how to navigate through the social tensions of our culture, how many know that it is all in here? And if we just ask in faith, not doubting, God will give us what we need. And if we apply it to our lives, we will see victory in our lives. We'll see the good life as God defines it.
But we cannot doubt or be double-minded. Go with a heart that says, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Whatever you speak, I will obey. Well, the third thing he tells us takes us to verse number 19. He tells us that God's wisdom results in actions. It requires actions. Look at what it says in verse number 19. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant uh, wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. That's it. Like, that's, that's the heart that he wants us to have. He wants us to receive with meekness the word of God, because if we do, it'll save our souls. It'll save our lives. And it will bless those who are connected to us as well. But then verse number 22 gives us the instruction, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourself. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he is like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. It's interesting that he said this to primarily a Jewish audience, Jewish converts, because they were a culture that were trained in memorizing and reciting scripture. I'll never forget what it was like to go to Jerusalem, to stand at the Western Wailing Wall, and to see fathers and sons teaching one another, or fathers teaching their sons scriptures, and all of them reciting scriptures, reciting the word of God. But how many know just knowing God word and reciting God's word does nothing to change your life if you are unwilling to apply God's word. James is very clear. He wants to move us to action. He wants to prod us to apply what we've known. As a matter of fact, don't ask God for a fresh word if you haven't applied the word that he's already given. Let's not keep going back to God to say, give me new instruction if we're unwilling to apply what he has already told us to apply. James is about doing. As a matter of fact, about 50% of James is application and orientation. There are 108 verses in this little book, 54 of which are instruction and 54 of which are commandments. James continues to weave in and out of instructing us and telling us to apply. It's not just the lecture that gives you an A in the course. Maybe you sat through the lecture. Maybe you heard the sermon. Maybe you've heard the podcast or the pastor preach or the YouTube. All that is great, but how much of what you've heard have you taken to the lab? We need to lecture and we need to lab. We need to apply it. And so maybe the simple application for you today is to forgive as you have been forgiven. Maybe it's to remember 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 18 tells us that not only have we been reconciled to God through Christ, but we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. Maybe God is just saying, you need to apply that. Just go reconcile or, or go forgive. Or maybe it's the word that says that if you find yourself at the altar offering your gift and you remember that your brother has ought against you, go first be reconciled to your brother and then bring your offering. 
I don't know which part of the word God is challenging you to apply today, but I do know this, that it's in the doing that we see the blessing. So today, I want to encourage you. Where do you go for wisdom? If you want perfect wisdom, more than what Alexa can offer, more than what mom or dad offers, go to God. But when you go to God, go in faith, not opposing, not doubting, and be willing to do whatever he says, because if you do, you will experience the good life. Amen? Everybody stand all over this church. And as we stand, let's remember the last words he said, and that is that the word of God is like a mirror. How many need a mirror? How many look at a mirror throughout the day? Some of us are so bad, you can't even walk past a mirror without stopping and looking. And why? Because we all know what it's like to think that we look great and then look at a mirror and realize, man, that's not so great. Uh, to have an outfit that you think goes together and then you look at a mirror like, this is terrible. Or to not realize that you're having a really bad hair day. Or that your makeup didn't come out quite like you thought it would. The fact of the matter is, spiritually speaking, we need to look to the word of God because it will show us our need. And our greatest need is for him. And so if you're in here today and you know you need Jesus, after we close in worship, there'll be leaders here to pray with you. And if you're watching online and you know you need Jesus, just type the word connect and one of our team members will follow up with you. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that you are so patient, so loving, that you give us wisdom without berating us, without making us feel guilty, but loving us because you want us to be blessed. Thank you that you offer us salvation. Lord, help us today to receive your wisdom, to be hearers and doers in faith, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said a big amen and amen. Give God praise. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.